Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Oh, most gracious Father, we come before you and pray that you would help us this very evening. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might be able to understand your word, that we might be able to walk in your ways that we would have the boldness to be able to proclaim your goodness to kings and those who are in high places, that we would not be put to shame. Let us delight in your word. Let us cherish your word and let it dwell in us richly this evening. Give us a love for your word, that we might be able to give thanks to you, the one who has saved us and redeemed us. For your name's sake, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 48. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son has come to you. And Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make for you a company of peoples and will give you this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padam to my sorrow... Rachel died in the land of Canaan. On the way there was still some distance to go from Ephrah. And, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's son, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, 
the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the boys. In them let my name be carried on. And the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the hand of Ephraim, it it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people. He also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. We find ourselves in these last few chapters of Genesis invited in to a very most private and intimate time in the life of Jacob. Very few of us are invited into those moments and only into the moments of that of someone very special. Here we find ourselves within the last week, days, or even hours of Jacob's life. The end of verse uh, chapter 47 begins that Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. It continues, we read tonight in verse 2, that Jacob there sat up in bed. And then it finishes in verse 33 of verse 49. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. We find ourselves here as Jacob lies in bed in the very last moments of his life. We see his dying words to his sons. But tonight we see something strange. Last time we were together we saw that Jacob made Joseph swear that he would be buried with his people. He would be taken back to the land of Canaan. But this week we see that he blesses children. But these blessings upon the children that are not his own. The Bible often gives reference to times when the great cloud of witnesses have gone before. And we find tonight in chapter 48 a large amount of time 
given to this blessing which Jacob, Israel, gives to Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. We've seen Jacob go through a lot through his life. But the author of Hebrews focuses on one aspect of Jacob's life. He pulls together with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob together, but one aspect that Jacob does specifically. The author of Hebrews focuses on this chapter, chapter 48. And we see not just a blessing done by Jacob, but a blessing done through faith. The author of Hebrews makes us be able to see and understand things that we might not ever have picked up on or known without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Is why we have all scripture. But the author of Hebrews writes in chapter 11, verse 21, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. That here we see the author of Hebrews highlight chapter 48, that this was done in faith. That faith of the things that were hoped for, that conviction of things not yet seen, that the people of old received their commendation. Now, if we were to timeline this, it seems that chapters 47 to 49 are quite rapid. Chapter 47, verse 29 says that, as the, when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. And here the author of Hebrews explains that as Jacob was dying, blessed Joseph's son. So why does the author of Hebrews, out of all of Jacob's life, choose chapter 48 And also, why does then Moses spend so much time on chapter 48 with the two sons of Ephraim and Manasseh that are not his own? He spent merely a couple of verses on Jacob's funeral arrangements. We saw how important that was. But here, Moses spends 22 verses on this scene. Why? It's not such a new idea that we've seen a father bless a son before. That the line of promise continues through Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. That the line of promise continues through generations. From Adam to Seth because Abel was murdered. From Seth all the way to Noah. From Noah to Shem. From Shem all the way to Abraham. To Abraham to Isaac and now Jacob and Israel. That the line of promise continues from that day where God promised that he would send someone from the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. And this promise now continues as Jacob is left dying. The first thing that we see is that Jacob can bless because he has been blessed. That Jacob can bless because he has been blessed. See this in the first verses as he reminds Joseph of the blessing that he received in Bethel. Or as he says in Luz. That's what it was known as. In verse 3. When Jacob said to 
Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. This blessing is the one that flows throughout all the book of Genesis. This unfolding promise as we see this covenant of grace revealed throughout history. Those I wills that pop up time and time again. Not about what God's people will do for God, but what God will do for his people. See this in verse 4 where God speaks to Jacob. And he says, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make you a company of peoples. I will give you a land to your offspring after you as an everlasting possession. This promise of land and offspring that echoes throughout the book of Genesis. And this blessing which Jacob has received from God. And even as he blesses and tells Joseph of the blessing in verses 15 and 16. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. The blessing passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Israel and now to Joseph and to Joseph's sons. That God has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. This is the first time that we see God being referenced as the shepherd of his people. Remember, it's when Joseph told his brothers, do not tell the Egyptians that you are shepherds. That is an abomination here. But here Jacob says that God is his shepherd. That God has been his shepherd. As he's gone to Badam, Aran, fleeing from Esau, his brother, the Lord was his shepherd. As he came back and was about to encounter Esau once more, the Lord was his shepherd. Even as he traveled down to Egypt, the Lord has been his shepherd. You cannot then but help think of where David writes of this in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. It is not a new idea to David. This is something that has been shown throughout all of Scripture. In Psalm 100, verse 4, that he is the shepherd of his people. That the people of God saw this in Jacob and carried this terminology along. He's blessed to have the Lord as his shepherd, but not only the Lord as his shepherd, but also the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. As he stands before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, How long have you lived on this earth? And he says, Few and evil have been my days. But he gives all glory to God because it is the angel who has redeemed him from all evil. Again, all of those times where he's close to death, fleeing and running from his life, been tricked by his father-in-law. But he says that God has redeemed me through all of this. He sees the work of God's hand of blessing as he appeared to him in Luz and all the blessings that came from there. As the Lord spoke to Laban that night and said, do not lay a hand on Jacob. 
as Esau did not harm him at all. And even now, living through this famine, he can say that the Lord has fulfilled his promise to me that he gave me. That he would watch over me. This blessing comes from Jacob is only a blessing from God. But secondly, we see that Jacob blesses the one once cursed. That Jacob blesses those once cursed. The interesting part of this blessing is who Jacob is actually blessing. The focus is on Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Why is this important? Moses actually highlights why this is important in verses 5 and 6. Now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh are mine, as Reuben and Sibion are, that the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. That we know of these two sons that are born to Joseph in the land of Egypt, but those two are included in the line of promise, the blessings. This is a very thing to be able to, important to be able to understand. They are children of Egypt, but they inherit the promise of God. Here we see adoption. That Jacob gives a blessing to the children not born to him. And he adopts them and treats them as his own. They're born outside of his household. And he brings them into his household. This is broader meaning than just adoption of grandchildren. But most important thing that we find in Genesis are, are seeds that grow and flourish throughout the scriptures. That they are children of Egypt. But Egyptians would be better known as the sons of Ham. The sons of um, Egypt, uh, Ham has four sons, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. And here the the Egyptians would be the New, New Testament equivalent of Gentiles. They're outside the covenant community. Although we do not know how Joseph raised them, he seems to be able to withhold his, his faith to some extent. But did they have the sign of the covenant? Were they circumcised? You can just flip forward and see Moses' two sons, who were born in Midian, are not circumcised. We do not know this information. But yet, here, Moses emphasizes that they were born in Egypt outside of Jacob's house, but yet they received the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. More than that, they received the rights of the firstborn, Reuben and Simeon. First Chronicles chapter 5, an interesting chapter to read in light of this chapter here. It says, The sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph and the sons of Israel, so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. So the author of Chronicles 
imply, states here that it's not merely that they're being brought into the family, but they actually take the role of the firstborn of all of Israel's sons. It passes over everyone else. It goes from Reuben now to Ephraim. And we're not surprised by this blessing because this is what God told Abraham would happen. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who dishonor you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This carries all the way even into the New Testament where we see Jesus meet a woman at a well. See here in verse 22. That Jacob gives to Joseph rather than all of his other brothers, one mountain slope. But in John chapter 4, verse 5, when Jesus comes to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Here Jesus meets with a woman who would have been considered a half-sibling to the children of promise. They would have seen her close, but not really a part of the covenant community. And Jesus says, it's not the place in which you are born, but the God of which you worship. He says in verses 23 and 24, the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Or as Peter puts it in Acts chapter 10, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And here you see, by faith, Jacob is blessing those, the children of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Jacob shows this promise of the gospel belongs not to those only who have grown up into the household of God. The promise is not only for those children, but grandchildren of faith. And through these adopted boys, Jacob blesses them. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. In them, let the name be carried on. The name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, let them grow up into a multitude in the midst of the earth. The children of Egypt once received the curse underneath Ham, now receive the blessing from uh, Jacob. Paul puts it well in Galatians chapter 3. For all who rely on works are under the law, under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. 
But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Those that are outside the covenant community are brought in because of faith. The same faith that Abraham has now is given to the Gentiles because of what Christ has done. Thirdly and lastly, we see that Jacob blessed the younger over the older. That Jacob blessed the younger over the older. That the blessings of God might seem strange to us, but also countercultural. The blessing normally went from the older child, the firstborn. And you even see Joseph's great lengths to be able to place the right hand on Manasseh and not Ephraim. See this in verses 13 and 14. He took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near. But then Israel stretches out his hands, and he crosses his hand. We see great lengths of what Moses is trying to explain here. We see even Joseph's displeasure with this in verse 19. That he crosses his arm. Not this way, he says. But Israel, by faith knows what he is doing. He might be blind here in the passage. He might not be able to see well, but he sees by faith. He sees better than Joseph. I know, my son, I know. Manasseh shall become a great and mighty nation, but Ephraim will be greater. This is a common theme throughout Genesis that Seth... The younger is blessed over Cain. Isaac, the younger, blessed over Ishmael. Jacob over Esau. Joseph and his brothers. Judah over Reuben. Even you see this throughout all of Scripture, that Moses over Aaron. David over Eliab. The focus, though, of this is not the younger and older. Although that's how it presents itself but ultimately between the conflict between the younger and the older. Remember that struggling in the womb that led Rebecca to to Lord in prayer as the children struggled together within her. And she goes, why is this happening? She goes and inquires of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. It is this this tension between the two brothers. It is the same with Joseph and his brothers, this conflict that's at the center of their relationship. This is what Jacob recognizes in verse 23 of chapter 49, that archers attacked him bitterly, shot at him, harassed him severely. 
So too, when we see that Christ, although he is not the younger brother, he is the firstborn. But it's the conflict between the brothers. That he is the one who is maligned, mocked at, punished by his brothers. That the blessings of God come in unexpected and backwards ways compared to the world. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter 18. When the disciples come to him and says, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus calls a child. He puts them in the midst of them and says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives such a child in my name receives me. We need to be reminded that the blessings of God are just that. They are blessings given from God because of His goodness and His mercy, not because of our deeds. If we seek to be able to elevate ourselves and say, you bless us, for I am the firstborn. I'm the one who has done everything right. Bless us because what I have done we miss the point. God does not bless us according to our deeds, and we thank God that He does not. He shows us grace and mercy. It's not the way of the world. The world says that you rise to the top. You've got to fight your way there. But the way of the kingdom is backwards. I think our Kent Hughes puts this well. We clearly understand at the end of Jacob's life, in the book of Genesis, that God's grace must never become captive to position or privilege or expectation or tradition or convention or disposition. God's grace is sovereign. It cannot be tamed. The economy of grace operates on its own principles, humbling human wisdom and exalting the unlikely so that the last are often the first, and the first last. God's sovereign grace cannot be tamed. And here we see in this passage that Jacob, through faith, blesses the sons of Joseph. What a glorious thing that is as he bows his head in the last days of his life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you for a passage like this that reminds us of the blessings which come from you. That we, are being, we have been blessed to be a blessing. Lord, that all that we have to give is all that you have given us in the first place. Lord, that you receive those who come to you through faith, that the righteous shall live by faith. Lord, that the kingdom is open to all who believe. 
Lord, but also that you have shown through us through Christ that your sovereign grace cannot be tamed. As you say, tell Moses in Deuteronomy that you will show mercy to whom you will show mercy and grace to whom you will show grace. Lord, we thank you for this inexpressible gift. Let us not think we have earned it or deserved it or done anything different from other people. But Lord, let us live with joyous hearts, with thanksgiving and praise for the great gift you have given us. Pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.